It's good to see you. Glad you're here. Glad you're there through the camera saying hello. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, this weekend, uh, we're going to start out uh, service uh, like we have the last couple weekends. So two weekends ago, we prayed for our teachers, our educators. Last week, we prayed for our students. And this week, uh, I want to do something a little different. Whew. Don't know if you've been watching the news or not, but uh, there's this uh, thing happening in Afghanistan. And uh, Heather and I were listening to a podcast yesterday of a pastor um, in that region. And uh, we know him as Pastor X. But he was telling of the stories of Christians uh, being hunted, that lists are being gathered right now of those who have professed Christ, and they're being hunted down. Um, and uh, what was amazing is that there's Christians in Afghanistan that are they're, they're fleeing to the mountains and they're fleeing uh, their homes and trying to, go, they're going to go live in caves. And then there are Christians that are staying in the cities and going, we know we're going to die, but we're going to take the kingdom forward. See, in America, we gather at church if the weather's right, if it's not raining, if we feel like it, if we didn't sleep in. But there's a church in Afghanistan right now that is gathering in the face of death. And I think that's where the Spirit of God is moving because the two fastest places on this planet where the gospel is growing and the church is growing is Iran and second is Afghanistan. And uh, Heather and I and the leadership at the creek, we've been praying about this, we've talked about this, and, uh, and this weekend, here's what's, ha- here's what's happening. We're going to pray for the church in Afghanistan, but we're also going to put some resources in this ministry's hands to help people get out or to help get resources in uh, for the winter that's coming for those that are going to find themselves in caves, and, and all this has to be underground and has to be on the DL. Uh, but as a church, we've made a decision to send $10,000 this weekend to that organization, and every penny of the giving that comes in this weekend is going to that organization. Uh, so I, 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 you guys know me. I don't ask you for money. We're giving this through the church, and that's because your generosity and your obedience has been, allowed us to do this, but I'm also asking you to be super generous this weekend. Um, because we're going to help the church in Afghanistan. That's our brothers and our sisters. And uh, one day, one day we'll get to stand in heaven with them. And we're going to get to hear the amazing stories of what God is doing in that region. I mean, he's showing up in dreams and he is, salvation is sweeping through in ways that we, we, we read about, we sing songs about, but they're living. And so I just want to pray for them and just encourage you to be be generous and keep praying for the church um, because that is our brothers and sisters. So, Father, we just lift up our, our, our church. We lift up our, our family. And when we come to faith in you, you set us in a family. And, God, I, I thank you that there are men and there are women that, that are willing to stand up in the face of death and say, I will never back down from Jesus, my Savior. And, God, I pray that you just pour out an anointing so powerful in the Middle East I pray that, that like, like no other time in history and no other time that will come, I pray that there is such a sweeping revival right now of the Spirit of God moving in the Middle East that, that so transforms lives there that it wakes the American church up. 
that, God, I just pray that you just pour out a blessing. I pray that you bring protection. God, I pray for supernatural protection and provision over families right now that are huddled in fear. God, that you set your angels as guards around them. That, God, they don't worry about who is coming to knock on their door, but they know that you have set a guard on their doorpost. And, God, I pray for you to continue to just equip them and encourage them as in the face of this uh, of death. They say, what, what do we do to take the kingdom forward? God, I just pray that you bless them, anoint them. God, I pray that you do bring, I pray that you do bring a freedom to them. But God, we thank you that even in the hardest places on our planet, you work and you move and you save and you heal and you redeem and you restore. God, we love you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Hey, thank you. Thank you for doing that again. Thank you for your generosity. And um, there's not a lot of information that we can share um, because they do go into places where it has to be absolutely incognito. So just be praying uh, for just be praying for the ministry in the Middle East. Um, this weekend, we're talking about Joseph and uh, the series that we're in, Overcoming. And I, I've loved this series. It's been a challenge for me. I hope it's been a challenge for you, but we've talked about God is the overcomer. He is the hero in our story. It's not how good we are, it's how good he is. And uh, we've hit some really light subjects over the last several weeks. And uh, this one, uh, this weekend, when we were plotting this series, this weekend was going to be coming, going to be called Overcoming Family uh, because we're talking about Joseph. But, but um, uh, some of us don't need to overcome our family, but uh, some do. Uh, but I, I, I just heard from God and we changed the title a little bit. It's called Overcoming Hurt because uh, the reality is all of us carry some hurt in our life, and, and uh, those closest to us have the ability to cause some of the deepest pain, right? There's no family like family, there's no hurt like family hurt. Uh, when your family hurts, there's no other hurt like that. And uh, so we're going look to at, look at the life of Joseph and, and, and see what God does in his story. And uh, the problem with us is many people are still carrying baggage from past hurts, and honestly, it becomes debilitating. But there's two words that I love in Scripture, but God. But God is the overcomer. God is the one who works, and God is the one who, who does this. And so go to, huh, you could go to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start there, and we'll end up in Genesis 50. So if you do the math, you know we got a long way to go in a short time to get there. Uh, but God deals with, with incredible hurt. Joseph deals with hurt from his brothers, and God does something amazing in that. And so I'm just going to give you kind of an overview of the life of Joseph. Joseph... Um, is uh, he, he, he's one of the younger sons, but his brothers hated him. Uh, chapter 37, verse uh, four and five says, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So Joseph had favor from his father and favor, favor in the family. His brothers hated him for that. Verse five says, now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And so the, maybe Joseph at this point in his life needed a little bit of self-awareness. Like maybe you shouldn't tell your brothers a dream you had. The dream was, hey, I had a dream that all of you were gonna bow down to me. Now, if you're already in, 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 a, in, a, in a dysfunctional relationship with your siblings, that's probably not the best thing to say, right? Uh, so they hated him even more and then they plotted to kill him. And then one of the brothers, Reuben, says, no, 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 we can't, we're not gonna shed blood, we're not gonna kill him, so they throw him in a pit, and uh, then they end up uh, selling him into slavery. Um, it says, so Joseph came to his brothers, verse 23, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of co many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him in a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. They ended up selling him into slavery that took him to Egypt. 
So he's sold into this house by, name, by the man named Potiphar. And, and what I love about it is even in that, Joseph was successful, that God's spirit was on him. So I mean, can you imagine that hurt, you know, showing up with your brothers he out in the field? He goes to check on them. And their brother, your brothers come up and meet you, and they, they strip you of all your clothes, they beat you, and then they throw you in a pit. And I mean, I don't know, Joseph may have been sitting down there going, okay, guys, joke's over, ha <laughs> ha, you got me, you got me, you know, I, I don't care, you can keep the coat, but I mean, I'm naked, guys, and uh, yo, I'm still in this pit, there's no water. Guys, guys, hello, anybody? Oh, there's somebody coming. You look up, are you here to save me? No, we just bought you. You're coming with us. That's some hurt. And he ends up in this house, and he's a servant in the house. But verse two of chapter 39 says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So everything that Joseph did succeeded. Even through, even through the hurt, even through the pain, even through that, that pit, we're going, God, where are you? Because all of us have been in some kind of situation where we're like, God, where are you? What's going on? My family just abandoned me. I just, I'm dealing with this hurt. I've got, I mean, I was just got beat up emotionally. I just got beat up, you know, from my family. I got beat up from people who are close to me, the people I trusted most, God, and where are you in this? And you find yourself in that, and God's like, I'm with you. I'm with you. He's successful. Joseph was also a handsome man, and Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. So Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, and Joseph, Joseph says, I'm not doing it. And, and this is a critical moment for Joseph, right? Because we can make decisions out of our hurt, and we can make decisions out of our past. And, and so Joseph has this, this, this woman that is, is coming on to him, and he could have easily said, you know, I've been through all of this. I deserve something nice. I deserve, you know, what, what about me? I'm going to take care of me. But no, no, this is what Joseph responds in, in chapter 39. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he's not speaking. That's a critical moment because when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the, the decision's in front of you, when it's here, he makes a decision. I'm not going to make a decision out of my past wounds or my hurt or try to get something back for myself and think, well, I've been through all this stuff, and so I deserve something, so I'm going I'm to make decisions for myself. He says, how can I do this and sin against God? He, I'm not going to abandon God. I'm going to stay locked in with him. And you'd think that would have been the honorable thing and, you know, everything goes to normal, but it doesn't. Potiphar makes up a lie about Joseph. He ends up in prison. Even in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. This is chapter 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Even in prison, Joseph is experiencing favor. I mean, this is kind of a hurt that dominoes, right? I mean, his brothers betray him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. And now it just starts dominoing. He ends up in Potiphar's house. Does, God's with him and he's successful. But then, and then this thing happens with Potiphar's wife. And then, then he, he's, he's honest. He stands up. He says, I'm gonna stand up for you, God. I'm not gonna do what's right. And he ends up in prison because of it. But God's favor is still in prison. It's amazing to me that God has still got him. And so Joseph is in prison. And a, you know, really you could say a dream got him into this. And hopefully a dream's gonna get him out, right? Because there's two men that he has a conversation with. It's chief baker and the cupbearer. I don't know where the candlestick maker was, but um, he might have already been executed at this point. Um, but they, they each had a dream, and they asked Joseph to interpret the dream. And so it goes well for one and not the other. But this is what Joseph says uh, when, he's, he, when he tells the cupbearer his dream, and it's a favorable dream. 
He says in chapter 40, verse 14, he says, Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And Joseph's speaking about his hurt. Now he said, look, you're going to get, you're going to be restored. You're going to be back in Pharaoh's uh, court. You're going to be back in the position, and this, this dream is favorable for you. And but when you get there, when he restores you, would you remember me? Because I, I'm here and I shouldn't be here. I mean, we, we, we kind of look at Joseph as like this, this, this super saint. Look, Joseph is a human just like you and I. And he experiences hurt. And that hurt hurts just like you and I hurt. And he's asking him, he's going, you're going you're to step into favor. Can you help me? Because I'm not supposed to be here. I've been through some stuff and, and I'm just asking for that. And the dude's like, I got you, Joseph. And then he forgets about him. Chapter 41 starts out two years. Two years later. See, we, we, we read this and we go from chapter 40 where he interprets the dream right into 40. We go two years later and we miss that timeline. But listen, if you're in that situation, uh, that's a long two years. Those are long days. Yeah, he's got favor in the prison and God's with him. But still, man, He's in a hard place, and God's with him. God's got him, but then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. And, and he says, is there anybody that can interpret the dreams? And the cupbearer is like, oh, snap. <laughs> hey, Pharaoh, probably should have told you this sooner, man. There's this guy in the prison. His name's Joseph. We call him Joe. But uh, So he interpreted a dream two years ago. Remember when you were upset with me and you threw me in prison? <laughs> and then you, you threw the, the baker in there too? Yeah, you impaled the baker. He's dead. But you, yeah, you restored me. Well, I had a dream that that was going to happen, and Joseph interpreted the dream. And so this dream that you've had, you probably, we should probably call him up. And so he says, go get him. Go get Joseph. So they pull Joseph out of the prison. He gets showered. He gets cleaned up, and he's ready to rock and roll. So he comes and meets with Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream. And he goes, here's the dream, Pharaoh. What you dreamt is, is God speaking this to you, that there's going to be seven years of surplus. I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to be like we've had the last couple weeks in August, right? You know, rain in August. That's what, like, what is going on, you know? Is Jesus coming back soon because the land is bountiful? The milk and honey's flowing? But anyway, it's going to have seven years of surplus you're going to have all this favor. But then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so my recommendation for you, Pharaoh, is in the seven years of surplus, save up and store for the seven years of famine so you don't die. And Pharaoh's like, that's a great idea. I need somebody to run this. Where can I find somebody like this? And then chapter 41, verse 39, this is what Pharaoh says uh, to Joseph. Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. He's come a long way, right? He didn't have that wisdom when he told his brothers a dream in the first place, but he's picked up this wisdom. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over the land of Egypt. Joseph moves up to number two in command. 
I mean, the favor of God is on him. And Joseph follows the plan. And so he, he's working in Pharaoh's household. They have seven years of surplus, and he's storing up grain for the difficult times, and he's working his job. He's doing his thing. And then the seven years of famine hit, and so they've got grain, and other nations are now coming to Egypt to get the grain because Joseph had the wisdom from God to store it up. Well, lo and behold, his brothers end up coming to Joseph. They don't recognize him. They come to buy grain and get food. Go to chapter 42, and we'll look at, look at start verse 7. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you're spies, you've come to see the nakedness of the land. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph. And I don't know, I mean, why did Joseph speak roughly to him? I don't know. I mean, maybe he remembers, y'all threw me in a pit. I mean, you're gonna see where forgiveness plays out, but look, you you show up after all these years and and you just think, you know, oh, well, welcome into the court. I didn't, Joseph, I told you he's human. I mean, I've, I, you probably wouldn't be able to record the words, especially in Scripture, of what I would have to say. You know, this chapter has been retracted from the record because it's not holy. But um, so Joseph recognized him. This sets in this, this course of events. And, and, and then he, he, he tells him, he says, um, um, he says, well, you can buy grain. And then his brothers said to one another, in truth, we're guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. The brothers recognize their guilt. Did you, did you hear? It's not, it's not just we threw him in a pit, but we recognize the distress of his soul and we left him there. We abandoned him. So they're, they're realizing what's going on. And then Joseph he blesses his brothers as Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain. And what he did without the brothers knowing is he replaced every man's money in his sack and gave them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Now, what's interesting about this exchange is one of the younger brothers wasn't with him. And Joseph knows this. So he's not going to release all of them. He says, one of you have to stay here and you bring all your brothers in. So they go home. They realize the money's there. They're scared. Uh, uh, Jacob is Jacob is, is like, what have you done? Where's the other? Son? Where's my other son? Now you've brought more distress on my soul. I mean, so there's a lot of tension happening here. And and so eventually they talk talk dad into letting us take the younger brother. We've got to go back and we got to buy more grain because this famine is still going. And we got a brother in, in Egypt right now. So they all show up again. All the brothers show up again to buy more grain. And they show up to Joseph. And this time, it's, it's, it's all of the brothers that come together. And Joseph has already heard of their guilt. Joseph has wept. You know, he's, he's shed tears about this. And the, they go back, and they bring the young brother. And then Joseph sees all of his brothers, and he begins wrestling with his emotions. Look at chapter 43, verse 30. It says, then Joseph hurried out. So that they had had a lunch. He said, come in, you can have lunch. Or is this all the brothers? Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber, and he wept there. So he comes out, and he gives them more grain, but he, he tests them. 
He gives a test to the brothers. He puts something in their sack and then sends them afterwards. So basically, they all come back, and, and they have to deal with Joseph. And then Joseph says, you know, where's your father? And what's happening in this is Joseph tests them, but then you get to chapter 46. All right, let me give you 45 first, because this is what Joseph, the interaction he has with his brothers. He says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So Joseph clears the room. And it's just his brothers. He weeps out loud. The Egyptians hear it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. And he asked, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. I mean, it's kind of like, oh no, oops. They knew that they had just confessed their guilt to each other, but now they're with Joseph. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph's getting an idea of the plan. That even through all this difficulty, even through all this strife, even through all the hurt, listen, he says, God has been working. God has a purpose in this and God has a plan. And so he says, here's the plan. Go get dad and bring all the family back. You're going to move to Egypt. He goes to Pharaoh. He says, hey, my family's alive. And Pharaoh's like, well, bring them on. So he gives them the best land in Egypt, in Goshen. They go and settle. And so I love this, this in chapter 46 when Joseph finally gets to see dad again. Um, he says, uh, says, then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel. Israel is Jacob, his father in Goshen. He presented him to him. He presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. What a reunion. But the story goes on because, you know, his whole family comes in. They've got the best of the land. But in time, Joseph's father dies. And we get to see the conclusion with his brother. So go to chapter 50. We'll start verse, verse 15. I had to set all this up for this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave the command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I believe Joseph wept because he'd already dealt with forgiveness. You don't come to this place carrying unforgiveness. He'd already dealt with the forgiveness. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. This probably isn't how Joseph thought that dream all those years ago was gonna play out. But here we are. But Joseph said, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He said, I'm not God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's an amazing story of reconciliation. That's an amazing story of what God can do. Not Joseph, not his brothers, not his dad, but what God can do of overcoming hurt. 
because we all have hurt. And listen, we get, we get frustrated at God sometimes because we have this, this idea somewhere in our mind that God should let us avoid all hurt, that he should keep us free from all pain, that nothing bad should ever happen to us. But he never promises that. He's never promised that. You read the Bible from cover to cover and you will find that he never promises to make us avoidance of all hurt and all pain. Jesus even said, in this life, you're gonna have trials, tribulation, trouble, hurt, pain, sorrow, all of these things, but take heart, I've overcome it. And God is a redeeming God and we see the redeeming power of the overcomer working in this this story of Joseph. And this is a real story. And listen, some of you are living that story right now. Some of you are living in, you, you might be in the prison right now. You might be in the pit right now. You might be in Potiphar's house. Or you may have come, come to a point where you feel like you've risen above it, but you haven't let God do, do anything in it yet. And there's no way, none of us have the ability to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps and deal with our own hurt. We've got, we've got to, we've got to, we got to confront the hurt. We got to deal with it. Don't dismiss the hurt. If God's going to overcome in our life, with the hurt we carry, don't dismiss the hurt. You can't ignore it. It doesn't just go away. You can't compartmentalize it. We get so good at compartmentalizing things and we just kind of tuck it away. But here's the problem. Yeah, growing up, uh, I, my brother and I shared a room for a lot of years and, and we had a lot of toys. And, and, and our room would get to the point where, where you could not get anything else in the closet because we had a mandate from mom, clean your room. Well, our, our, our interpretation of this mandate was the floor has to be visible. So throw it in the closet and shut the door, right? Y'all tried that too. We tried hiding under the bed, then mom started inspecting under the bed. But here's the problem about the closet. It can only hold so much. And someday that door's gonna open. For us, it was a day after school that we came home and all of the stuff piled in the closet was piled on our bed. And we had a new mandate. Homework first, and then you have till bedtime to clean this up. What's not cleaned up goes in these garbage bags. Oh, we were focused that day, man. You cannot dismiss the hurt in our life. It's, it's like that little light on your car, the check engine light. It doesn't mean get up and raise the hood and make sure it's still there. It means there is a problem that must be dealt with. Several years ago, in my truck, the check engine light came on, and I thought, maybe it'll just go away. (laughs) Listen, a fairly inexpensive problem turned into a very expensive problem because I tried to ignore the warning lights. And listen, hurt happens in our life, and we've got to address it. We've got to deal with it. It just doesn't go away. I mean, that, that, that's exactly what, the, what our semester starting with freedom is about. It's about addressing those hurts. It's about dealing with our past. Because listen, if we don't deal with it, it'll deal with you. And you've got to deal with it. How? First thing, embrace forgiveness. You've got to choose forgiveness over hurt. And, and listen, can we just roll up our sleeves and get real practical about this? Forgiveness does not mean you're okay with what they did to you. It means you recognize God's going something bigger than you tried against me. God's got a bigger purpose in this. And when I say I forgive you, it means this. I'm not carrying it anymore. 
There are, there are hurt. When I went through freedom the first time, uh, God was dealing with me on some hurts that happened in middle school. And I can guarantee you this truth, that the kids in middle school that said those things to me that I carried scars for 30 plus years, they don't remember that. It's not like you can track them down on Facebook and go, hey, do you remember in sixth grade we were on the bus and you said this? And their response would be, no, I don't remember that. Because they're not the ones carrying your hurts. You're the ones carrying your own hurts. And when you say, I'm gonna appropriate forgiveness, I'm gonna forgive the people who hurt me, it means I'm not carrying this anymore. I'm good. I'm not good with what you did with me. I never wanna relive that again, but I'm good. You know Joseph had to have dealt with forgiveness because the favor of God is not gonna be on somebody who's carrying unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a, is a poison that ferments inside of our own bodies and kills the host. Unfor, the unforgiveness that we carry around will never do anything for anybody who has hurt us. What it does is it, it kills us. And when I say I forgive them, it means I'm not carrying it. And God's favor is not gonna be on somebody who's carrying unforgiveness. Joseph didn't succeed in Potiphar's house because he harbored bitterness for his brothers. He succeeded because he gave that over in the hands of God. When we, when we forgive and we give that over in the hands of God, it means we've appropriated it. We said, I'm not carrying this anymore. That God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen, the context for forgiveness is Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you, forgive one another. I mean, Jesus would use the context of forgiveness. In order for us to be forgiven, we have to be forgivers. Meaning not if I get hurt, but when I get hurt, I will be quick to forgive. Because it means I'm not carrying it. It means I'm good. I'm moving on. God's got something here. And listen, that's only part of it, y'all. There's more that comes from that. After we, after we deal with forgiveness, then the, the next thing we do is, is we become leaders of reconciliation. There, there's two steps in here. Remember, in, 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 in chapter 50, verse 21, Joseph said, so do not, do not, so do not fear I will provide for you and your little ones. Then he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's reconciliation. See, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things, and I feel like we, we've got to understand the differences of it. Forgiveness is for me. Reconciliation is for us. When, when, I, when I face a hurt, I'm called by the word of God to forgive. And when I forgive, it, it, look, look at it this way. Forgiveness is immediate and complete. When the hurt happens, immediately I have to forgive. And I have to completely forgive. It's not, oh, I'm gonna hold, I'll forgive you, but I'm holding this in my pocket. Because that means I haven't forgiven you because I've chosen to carry something. And God says, that, that'll weigh you down. The problem with carrying hurt you ever watch a tractor pull? I, mean, I grew up, you know, I, I am, I like trucks, okay? I like mud, trucks, everything. But I, I remember getting to go to these things called tractor pulls when I was a kid. I mean, Google it, YouTube it, it's awesome. I mean, you got like a truck that has like 8,000 horsepower and it pulls this sled. The thing is, the sled has this bucket that moves up. Well, when it starts out, it can easily move down the track. 
But as it's moving, that, that weight gets closer and closer up the trailer, up the sled, and it becomes impossible for even all of that horsepower to keep moving. That's exactly what carrying hurt does. We're like, okay, it's not that bad. I'm carrying, I'm gonna hold this. But the problem is, at the more you go, the heavier it gets. So eventually you're stuck and you cannot go any farther. So we've got to forgive immediately and completely. Then, then reconciliation is this, it's limited and progressive. It's boundaries. And, and the thing is, as the, as the offended person, as the hurt person, you're put in the driver's seat of reconciliation. You're the one have to has to lead it. I mean, if, if, I, if, I, if I break Heather's trust or I disappoint her or I hurt her, that decision on my part has also made a decision that it puts her in the driver's seat of setting the boundaries for me to rebuild trust. And we have to be able to allow people to rebuild trust. I mean, it, it, it's, that's the reconciliation. Now, listen to me. Reconciliation does not mean you welcome the person back in with open arms immediately. It's setting boundaries. You know what? You hurt me. Yeah, I've forgiven you. I'm not carrying it. And, and this relationship is now different. I mean, look at what Joseph did. He kept his brothers at a distance for a little while. Okay, I'll give you grain. He blesses them in that. I'm going to give you grain. You go back home. They come back. He still keeps them a distance. When he sees their heart, he starts bringing the boundaries closer. That's why you have to be in the driver's seat when you've been hurt. You have to lead reconciliation. You set boundaries. And listen, there have been abusive situations in your past that maybe the level of reconciliation is you're not allowed in my house anymore. They may have, they may have done some things that, that completely sever the open-armed relationship. But you've got to be the leader of that, and you lead that based on the wisdom of God. We're constantly, unintentionally putting boundaries on people. What reconciliation is, is being intentional with those boundaries, with the purpose of seeing where's trust, how close are we moving the boundaries here. And I've got friends in my life that have hurt me, and the boundary's still out here because they keep trying to do the same behavior. And I'm not going to let them in and enable the same behavior. I'm going to keep my boundary with you out here. No, we're not hanging out the way we used to hang out. But that's, that's, that's where we move into the favor of God. That's where God is working in us to overcome the hurt because the hurt doesn't become debilitating to us. And God redeems in the hurt. God has a purpose and a plan even through the hurt. And, and I love that God's, God shows us his heart for us in the hurt. In Psalm 34, he says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And he delivers us out of the affliction that if we're willing to submit ourselves into the hands of God, he will make something beautiful out of the mess that we've walked through. That way we can look at the people and say, what you intended for evil, my God, turned this out for good. And he's worked in me through this process. Look at the refining God did in Joseph's life. It's like the story of the silversmith. The silversmith was interviewed about making beautiful jewelry, and you see these beautiful pieces of jewelry, but they go through a very painstaking process to get the beauty. 
that the silver is brought in and just, is just ore. It's got dirt, it's pulled out, and it has to go through a refining process of fire, and the heat gets turned up. And see, we kind of think, well, yeah, you just turn on the microwave, it heats it up, and then you come and get, you get this, this nice, shiny silver. That's not how the process works. The silversmith has to be present with the heat because too much heat can ruin it. Not enough heat, it doesn't get pure. And so the silversmith has to sit over this urn and watching the heat and measuring the heat. And as the impurities come up to the surface, that's called the dross, he'll take a tool and he'll wipe away that dross and he'll reheat it again and it'll go through the process again over and over. And all the while, the silversmith, the creator, the maker is sitting over this heat watching this process. And they, were, they asked the silversmith, when do you know it's done? And he says, when I look in this and I see my reflection. That's exactly what Jesus promises us. I will be with you in the heat. Jesus has experienced excruciating hurt from those closest to him. It's our sin that put him on the cross. There's no pain like, like family pain, right? And we've, we, we, he has experienced excruciating hurt, and yet he is with us through every trial. When you've gone through hurts, God, where were you when they were through me in the pit? He'll respond to you, I was right there with you. Because in order for me to refine you to look more like me, I gotta be with you in the heat watching the process. Too much is, is gonna destroy you. Not enough doesn't get what we need out to the surface. That's the beauty of God who works even in our hurt to redeem and overcome and make something beautiful out of the mess so that we don't walk wounded anymore. We walk free, we walk healthy, we walk holy. So may we let God work in us to overcome hurt so people can see him. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. And God, I believe you're working on every broken heart. Every one of us share common ground and that is, we have all been hurt. And we also share common ground that we all need forgiveness and for you to do something in our life. So I'm asking you to forgive us when we've let hurt lead us and we've made decisions out of hurt. And we haven't let you do something in that. So we're asking you, God, to soften us with grace so we can forgive out of your supply of grace. Give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us grace to be leaders of reconciliation. God, would you heal broken hearts? God, would you reunite marriages? Would you reunite families? Would you do what only you can do, that what the enemy meant for evil, the hurt, the pain, all the process, God, you turn that for good because you are the overcomer. You are the redeemer. And we ask this so that we, through, even through our hurt, we become a beautiful reflection of your glory and your power. It's for your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys.